Well, our mission at Grace Covenant Church is to help people encounter Christ in a meaningful way. We want to help them experience biblical community and ultimately take the things that you've received and be a conduit of God's mercy and grace so that you might be a part of the process of extending God's kingdom. Amen? We believe that God is building his kingdom, he's extending his kingdom, and the means through which he does that is people like you and me. And over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about that. Uh, Last week, we began to talk about what it looks like when we encounter Christ. And the reality is dynamic things happen when you take the fuel of your life and the spark of Jesus Christ. Dynamic, powerful things happen. We talked about how God wants to address our self-righteousness, that he desires to take those things that we trust in and of ourselves and demolish them, not because he doesn't appreciate who we are, but because he wants to get us in a place so that we can receive best from him. And we can only do that when we are humble. But that's not the only thing that he does. Um, Many of us, as we encounter Christ, we have an opportunity to experience liberty, freedom, and specifically freedom from fear. So I'm going to stand today. I want us to all stand up. I'm going to read, and you can read along with me quietly. I'm going to read out of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, or 1 through 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many of them, or many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we invite you now by the Spirit 
to come and intersect with our lives. God, I pray that you would minister and be present to bless here in this service as we consider what it looks like for us to encounter Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that that by your word, you would address the fears that seek to control our lives. Those things that we have given control over to, those things which we effectively worship because we depend upon them or we, we lean on their, their approval in our lives to direct us. God, I pray that you would free us from fear and that you would fill us with love. I pray that by the Spirit, our eyes would be open to see your deep and abiding love and to see how that love presses out fear in our lives. And as we come to encounter you in our word, I pray that you would change and transform us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful for change. And we lift it up before you and ask you to do the work that only you can do in our hearts. Bless this congregation, I pray. Open our eyes to see amazing things in this word, I pray. God, feed us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So as I said last week, we talked about this guy, Saul. Saul is Paul, Paul the Apostle. He is self-righteous and, and kind of a quintessential self-righteous individual. We talked about his, his credentials, how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, how he was Jewish and, and kind of the ultimate Jewish man. He spoke Aramaic. He followed the law. He was blameless. He was so self-righteous that he was blinded to see that he was not serving God but opposing God. And that is the danger of self-righteousness, is in our own sense, in our own, uh, as one author puts it, uh, uh, internal lawyer, right? The lawyer in our heart, as, as we argue for our own right in our lives, we can do so to such a degree that we find ourselves not serving God but opposing God. And the word says very clearly that God opposes the proud. Those who trust in their own sense of righteousness, God opposes, but he gives grace to the humble. And so God humbles Paul so that he might be able to use Paul. But God is interested not only in dealing with our self-righteousness, but also the things we fear. Ananias is a fearful guy. And here's the thing about Ananias is he is not wrong. You know, sometimes we think about fear and we, we think to ourselves, okay, well, that's, that's not a real thing to be fearful of. You know, it, it's like when you, you go to college and you get a, an apartment and you live in that apartment apart from your family and you realize you are still that 12-year-old who's afraid of the dark. There are things that we fear that, that aren't necessarily logical or rational or real, But there are other things that have real impact on our life, and we have reason to be concerned. Ananias is no fool. He's heard from the grapevine that this guy Saul has been doing terrible things. He is fearful. Uh, He's cautious, and he knows that Saul has been hunting down Christians, and his desire is not to go to jail. he's He's not trying to become a martyr, and so being the good believer of God that he is, he reminds God, did you know 
You know, it's funny that when we're fearful, we can argue with God. We do these crazy things when we don't have our, our minds focused on God. For Saul, he was opposing God. And for Ananias, because of his fear, he was arguing with God. We see the same thing in the Old Testament with Moses when, when God shows up to Moses and says, hey, I want to use you. You're going you're gonna to release the captives. We're going to set the captives free. My people are going to be freed from Egypt. And he says, uh, God, I know you know everything. But did you know? And that's the, that's the irrationality of fear. It, it causes us to think foolish things. And here it says that the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight in verse 11 to the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul for behold he is praying and he's seen a vision named in a vision a man named Ananias to come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight but Ananias answers lord i want to remind you of something i'm afraid and i want you to understand something about reality god i know you know a lot of things god he says uh Lord, I've heard much about this, heard many things about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Again, he's speaking to God, who has how much authority? All the authority. And he's saying, hey, God, I know that you have all the authority, but Saul's also in charge of some things. Did you know? He's got letters. Letters are very powerful. But God is so patient with him. And Jesus reassures him. You know, sometimes it can be scary to obey God. Sometimes we have fear of rejection. Sometimes we're afraid that if I am faithful to God, I will be rejected in this situation. You know, Pastor Eddie encourages me to go pray for my, my server. And, and I go to Sweetwater and they come by. And you, you, you sign the... the the note and they're looking at you and smiling and you're looking at them and smiling and you're thinking to yourself I should pray for them and they're looking at you and saying why are they staring at me and there's this moment but if I pray they might say no and then I'll die and that's the feeling and that's what fear does is it makes us believe ridiculous things when in actuality they might say no but probably they'll say sure I've only had one person who, and I, I haven't done this, I don't do this every time I go out to eat, but uh, occasionally I'll have these thoughts, you know, I need to pray for this person, and, and I've, most of the time they're like, yeah, I'd love, I'd love for you to pray, and they, they mention the things that they want me to pray for, and it's a very meaningful thing, and it's not because, I, you know, Pastor Eddie prays, you know, it's just, hey, okay, you're sick, God, please heal them. Anyone who's gone out to me knows that I'm not like a, thus saith the Lord type prayer. So it's not about me, it's there's a faithfulness, and and. There was one occasion where I was, um, I offered prayer, and the person was like, you can pray for everyone, kind of angrily. And that, that was the closest I got to a no, was a, just pray for everyone. Okay, and so I walked away and got in my car, really kind of confused, and said, God, please help everyone. <laughs> but that's not usually what happens, but we have a fear of rejection. Sometimes we have a fear of, of uh, being hurt. I'll be hurt if I obey God and, and treat this person in a way that they don't deserve. Now, that, that might go a little bit deeper. The, the example I gave of praying with someone, that, you know, that doesn't hurt us a ton. But there are people in your lives who have hurt you. 
I mean, they've really wounded you. And yet you read the Bible and it says, forgive. And you're looking for the asterisk where it says, except for in that one situation, Eddie, you're totally right to not forgive. I don't know about you, but I haven't found the asterisk. It says forgive. It doesn't necessarily say, you know, don't move forward with legal things or don't, uh, you can immediately trust that person again. We're not talking about trust. We're not talking about consequences. We're talking about how we relate to people and God calls us to forgive. God tells us in 1 Corinthians that, that love is characterized by not keeping, keeping a record of wrongs. When our kids were smaller, we would talk to them about this idea of uh, giving your brother or sister a clean slate, which we had to explain because nobody uses slates anymore. So we're like, it's like on the iPad where you just, I don't know if I said iPad, but, but you want to give the person a clean slate. But we're afraid. God, if I give them a clean slate, they're just going to mark it up again. And that slate is written on my heart. God, if I, if I open up myself, may it hurt again. All the while, Jesus is sitting on the throne with scars on his hands and his feet and his side. He's saying, yeah, that may happen. But you don't need to be fearful. Sometimes we have fear of discomfort. I'll have to give up this comforting thing to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's the convenience and comfort of not having to engage a person. You know, some of us would, would much prefer not to have any conversations. You're like, I, I really want this to be between me and God. Then I want to go home and have it between, between me and God. I want to go to work and be, be between me and God. And God is saying, the only way it's going to be between me and God is if it's between you and the people around you. The only way that this really walks itself out is as you love other people. And if you don't believe me, read 1 John. Sometimes we're afraid of having to give things up. Jesus, I know, I know you want me to walk in holiness, but, but I'm really, I really want to do this thing that really brings me comfort and encouragement. And Jesus saying, is saying, is, is it really bringing you comfort and encouragement? Or is it numbing you from the comfort and encouragement that I could bring you? Sometimes we even have to fear physical harm. I, I'm, I'm afraid I'll be in danger if I follow God in this scenario. Now, by the grace of God, most of us don't exist in that reality. But it's interesting that the people I find who are faced with the danger of physical harm tend to be some of the most brave people I've met. I remember, again, being in China, uh, and I went... My mom, this was in, in, after high school, and my mom's Korean, and so she was going to a Korean church, and they were partnering with a Chinese church, and they were like, hey, we need a guy who speaks English, plays guitar, and knows about computers. And I was like, that is me. And so I went to China, and I remember going to Beijing, landing, and uh, they, they took us from the hotel to another place, and eventually it ended up being like in a van in the dark at night, and we're like, well, I hope that I'm on the right side because I'm in a van in the dark in the middle of China, uh, and we ended up in this, in this remote area where these Korean missionaries were ministering to Chinese orphans. Well, they weren't just ministering to Chinese orphans, they were, they were raising them up to be missionaries. And, and they were in significant danger. Now, there were, it was secluded. I didn't know where we were, so I assumed that most people didn't know where we were. 
But there was a sense of physical danger there. And yet in that moment, because they had taken their fear and said, God, we're going to lay this down at your feet, come what may, there was an exuberance to their worship. There was a depth to their spirituality because they weren't just trusting God at this surface level. They're saying, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you my physical body, and if it gets harmed, well, God, I'm trusting you. Sometimes we fear physical harm. And, and when we fear things, when fear begins to control how we live, we have made those things we fear our God. I want you to understand this. Sometimes we think about idolatry and we think about the golden calf and, and you know, oh, and we think, I never do that. That's silly. Those, those silly Israelites. But, but worship has to do with the disposition of your heart. Worship has to do with what you believe about the world. And if you believe that this person or this thing or this situation is so big, so great, that you have to succumb to it, that you have to submit to it, that you have to surrender to it, you are worshiping it. And I say that because some of you are idolatrously worshiping things that you fear and you don't even realize it because you don't categorize worship in that way. If it takes you from worshiping God, it takes your focus, your energy, your resources. What do you wake up thinking about? What anxieties come up in your soul? Those are things that are vying for your worship. It's comforting that, that when Ananias lays out his, his concerns, and you know, Jesus, we're on a committee, let's talk. As a side note, you're not on a committee with Jesus. I'm not on a committee with Jesus. The kingdom is not a democracy. I'm thankful for democracy. But the kingdom's a kingdom. And he's king. And it's comforting that the king doesn't just say, get, get right, Ananias. Get your head on right. He listens and he hears them out. He, 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 you, you can almost see Jesus kind of empathizing to some, okay, I know. I know. Just calm down, Ananias. So it's all right. I am God. Just give me a second. And he says, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Sometimes we come to God saying, God, don't you know? This is my plan. This is why I'm doing this this way. God, don't you understand that I can't obey you in this way? Because if I did, all these bad things would happen. And God is saying, I have a plan. God, I, I know that you call me to be faithful in my marriage, but, but the things are really hard. And, and you, have, you meant, have you seen my spouse? I mean, have you smelled him recently? Have you seen my spouse? Have you heard the way she talks to me? I've got, I got other plans, Jesus, don't you know? And he's saying, no, 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 I have a plan. He looks at Ananias and says, I know exactly who Saul is. Why do you think we're having this conversation? I have plans for Saul. I have intentions for Saul. And he reassures Ananias. This is why in Proverbs chapter 3 it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. And that acknowledgement is, is coming up under him. It's not acknowledging like, hello, sir, good to see you, and then walking past. 
It's an acknowledgement of, okay, what does it look like for me to walk in the ways of God in this situation? What are the principles that are on the right and the left that, that inform me the way I should go? I am not a good bowler. I admit it fully. And I'm thankful for, for the bumpers. Because otherwise, it's just gutter balls. That's not completely true. Occasionally, I will get it in. But there's no, there's no finesse about it. And, and, and God provides us with bumpers to, to get us going in a direction. We can trust him. When we let our own fears inform our faith, we lose sight of God and what his plan is. But when we let our faith inform our fear, we can proceed with confidence in God. Are you avoiding obeying Jesus Christ today? Let that sit in the air. Are you avoiding obeying Jesus Christ today? Are you afraid of forgiving one more time? Jesus, I forgave them and they blew it again. I, I can't do it again. I, I can't. Are you afraid of giving up that thing that you feel like you really need in your life? Maybe it's that, it's that relationship that you know is ungodly. It's not a marriage relationship. It's not a, it's not a relationship that falls within the line of the, the way that God calls men to honor women and women to honor men, husbands and wives. Are you afraid of what repentance will mean for your life? taking this thing that you've tried to hide from God as though that he couldn't find it and, and, and bringing it into the light. As a side note, if that's you, us hiding our sin from God is a bit like a three-year-old hiding um, behind the guitar. You, you ever played hide-and-go-seek with the little kid? It's real, it's real fun. And by that, I mean it's not fun. <laughs> because they're like, don't find me! You're like, you clearly don't understand how this game works. Daddy, where are you? Don't find me. And eventually, when you're like, fine, I won't find you, they're like, find me. But that's what we are in our sin. God already sees it. Jesus reassures Ananias. And when he draws near, Jesus presses out the fear. I mentioned 1 John earlier. I want to read something out of it. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 say this. There's no fear in love, but perfect, fe- for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Some of you, you fear God because you have not understood that he loves you. Some of you, you're still working on this self-righteous um, treadmill, trying to make progress. But you're going nowhere. And you're fearful because you haven't understood that God dealt with the punishment in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason that Jesus comes, so that you won't have to deal with that punishment. Sometimes when I'm cooking and cleaning... I'll put it this way. Maybe I've heard people do this. They take a pot that's dirty and you're done with it, so you put it in the sink. And then when it comes time to clean and you just don't want to, you're like, you know what? I need to let it soak and you just turn the faucet on. And then you walk away to do more interesting things. 
It's not good for the environment. I know it's a lot of water that's being wasted. But what happens, in theory, this is why you do it. It's good, good cleaning practice. It's not. It's bad. I'm sorry. This is a confession. Um, as the water runs, it eventually what? It presses out all the gross stuff. Unless you're a really bad cook and it's burnt on. Which sometimes happens to me. But it, it presses, as the water flows, it presses out all the other stuff. And as we, as we come in and encounter Jesus Christ in his word, what God wants to do is to pour his love into your heart to such a degree that that fear gets pressed out. God, I'm afraid of forgiving, but I know that you love me. And I know that you're here with me, that you have compassion for me, that you're holding me, and so I'm going to go ahead and put myself out there and I'm going to forgive God because your love is pressing out that fear. God, I know that you want me to obey in this situation, that you want me to repent and turn away, and I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm afraid of of giving my life to you, but God, I see that you love me. I, I recognize how you've poured out your love for me. I see Jesus on the cross bleeding and then saying as he's dying, forgive them for they don't know what they do. God, I see it, and it's pressing out the fear. I'm gonna repent. God, I repent. When we see the love of Christ, it presses out the fear. Family, when we're controlled by fear, we place the thing that we fear above God. Jesus came to reassure us and remember who we really ought to fear. So if if one way that we fight fear is to to connect with the, the love of God, another way is to connect with the fear of God. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says something that... You'll see, it's, it's bold. I, I don't know. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. And you're like, pause, time out. Don't fear people that can kill me. Okay, that's a pretty tough step one. What else do you have to say, Jesus? Well, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he goes on and it says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So he says this crazy stark thing. He says, guys, don't fear the guy who could mug you and then kill you. Fear God who could kill you and then send you to hell. You're like, this is not an encouraging teaching, Jesus. But then he says, hey, but listen, God loves you. And the, the one who has power over not just your physical life, but your eternal life, knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows that you lost eight of them in the drain this morning as you washed your hair. He knows He loves you. Who holds your life, family? What fears are you trying to allow control of in your life? What things are you trying to avoid out of a deep sense of fear? Jesus comes along to remind us that he is for us and we don't need to fear. So Jesus reassures Ananias and so Ananias obeys. And so we see in Luke that he goes and he prays for, not in Luke, sorry, in Acts. We see that, that Ananias and he goes and he prays for Saul. 
And it says that in verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, he's laying his hands on the man that he knows has been a part of executions of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? This is a man who has been addressed and his fear has been addressed. Just two chapters ago, Saul had watched men crush the skull of Stephen. That same man is the man that now Ananias puts his hands on and he says, I'm going to bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me. God has sent me. This is where the confidence of Ananias comes in. So that you may regain sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. Just a side note family, some of you are ineffective in your ministry because you are fearful. You've been praying and asking God to do something, but you have not seen the fruit, not just because you've prayed wrong or haven't done the right thing, but because you're not willing to submit to God in other areas. And I would encourage you, in the moment that you actually submit to God, you will see the work of God in your life. Ananias submits to God, and what? He does an amazing thing. God does crazy stuff. Saul is now called a brother of Ananias. One's encountered Christ and experienced this conversion of, of death to life. The other, Ananias, has encountered Christ and experienced a shift from fear into greater faith. And when people who have encountered Christ get together, ministry happens. Ananias prays for and effectively commissions Paul into ministry. Jesus chose to use these men. Jesus could have proclaimed this, this gospel message directly to the Gentiles, but he chose to convert Saul. That, that should give you comfort, right? If, if you, you have a background and you realize, I'm kind of a jerk, God can use you. Your own sense of failure, your own wickedness, your own self-righteousness is not something that, that you know, God's like, well, I don't know if I... He's kind of a knucklehead. It's kind of hard to work with. No, he can, if he can transform Saul, he can transform you. Saul goes on to say effectively that in one of his letters. Jesus could have healed Saul himself, but he chose to send another disciple whose faith needed to be strengthened. Some, some of the people in your life haven't been affected and changed because you haven't done what God wants you to do. It's not because God is not, a, not able it's because he's waiting for you to be the instrument through which he does it. He's waiting for you to believe him more than you fear the circumstances. Jesus uses people imperfect, incomplete, unstable, often inconveniencing, different and diverse people. And that is discouraging and it is encouraging. It is discouraging because different types of people create friction. And it would be much nicer if we all just, everyone loved the same things that everyone loved. But that's, that's not the kingdom. But it's encouraging because you're different. And God will use you to minister to people who are different from you. We are part of a family and we don't choose that family. 
as we think about encountering Christ, our family consists of those with whom uh, we can say we've encountered Christ. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful for that reality. Uh, I'm so thankful to be a part of this body of people and, and to see in this room a number of different kinds of differences and diversities. Age, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic situations, interests. Some of you, like me, are lean more on the bookish side of things. Some of you lean more on the athletic side of things. Some of you are more musical. Some of you, you know, you've heard of what music is. But what comes out of your body and hands is never music. It's a joyful noise. Some of you love kids. Some of you are afraid of kids. Some of you love computers and some of you are afraid of computers. Some of you are natives to the United States and others are not. You, you're all super different. And what a privilege it is to be a pastor. I'm so, this is, this is side to sermon, but I like you guys. It's, it's good to have you here. And you know what? You're here because God is a God who constitutes his family his way. He doesn't do it my way. Sometimes I wish he did. It'd be simpler, be easier, more convenient. But he's not interested in my convenience. And although he's not interested in your convenience, he is interested in your well-being, your holiness, and your experience of the goodness and grace and mercy and glory of God. Amen? Jesus is Lord. Some of you are wrestling with fears today. Jesus is Lord over your fears. If you're wrestling with fears today and you're, you're, you're still not quite there, maybe there's a thing that you, you know you should be repenting of, you know there's a situation that you need to address. and you, you, The question is not, what do I do here? Sometimes we say that, what do I do? But it's not really, what do I do? It's, I don't want to do what I know I should do. Like, oh, it's complicated. It's not complicated. Spouses, it's not complicated. Forgive. You're like, no, but if you knew. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure. Just forgive. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and apply it to your life. And, I mean, I'm telling myself this. All, you know why I know this text? Because... That, that's the text I need to, to draw from when it comes to parenting and, and, and marriage and, and pastoring. Because I, it, within myself, I'm not a loving person. But if, if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with fear, can I just invite you to read some texts? Read Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding. Read it, read it, read it. Massage it into your soul. Read 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Read it and read it and read it until you believe it. And believe it and believe it and believe it until it begins to affect how you behave. And then when you have a relapse and you find yourself being fearful again, self-righteous again, come back and do it again. Amen? God is gracious. He's willing to reassure you, and he wants to free us of fear. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do love us, and we thank you that you do free us from fear. God, I pray that you would give us a picture of you that is bigger than, than what we see of the things we fear. 
We don't deny that there are legitimate things to be concerned with in our world, in our lives, in our relationships. But God, I pray that those things would not control how we respond. God, I pray for these dear people that you would give them a holy confidence in you. A confidence to walk out faith. A confidence to forgive. A confidence to be, to be tender-hearted, patient, bold, to walk in integrity. God, I pray that you would shape us by your spirit into the character of Jesus Christ. That we would not be afraid, but as we look to you, Jesus, as we set our eyes on you, that we would be transformed into your image. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've, you've considered him a lot of things, but you haven't considered him to be your Lord, the one who's in charge of your life and your Savior, the one who takes away your sin by his own death and resurrection. If that's you today and you want to trust in him today, would you just put your hand up? There's nothing magical about the action of putting your hand up, but it's a way of re responding to what God is doing in your own heart. Well, if God is dealing with a fear in your life, can I challenge you in this moment to raise your hand? That's a good first step. This is what we like to call immersion therapy. You're afraid of raising your hand. And now I want you to pray. Name that thing before God. Say, God, I lay this at your feet. Jesus, give me the boldness to obey and despite it. God, I, I pray that you would minister holy, righteous courage to believe you, to trust you over against the thing that we fear. And God, I pray that we would walk out of this room with a sense of freedom from fear and a boldness to obey you in ways that we were afraid to do before. And God, I pray that you would show us even the areas where that fear, we, we didn't think that it was, it was affecting, Lord, that we would see that now that we've given that up to you, Lord, we are freer in these other areas. Pour out your love on this family. Pour out your love on this congregation. Pour out your spirit on these people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.